Good morning. It's so good to be with each and every one of you this morning. Uh, always encouraging to see our visitors here with us. We are so thankful for your attendance and for your, your willingness to come and to worship God with us together. I would encourage each and every one of you to go ahead and take out your Bibles. Open them up to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a passage we are not quite to yet in our, in our scripture reading here as we uh, endeavor to read through the Bible. We will be reaching this passage actually next Sunday afternoon. We, will, we, sh- we should be here. I want to spend some time in Deuteronomy chapter 6 looking at a topic that we've started talking on earlier on in the year. Uh, it, it is our desire as the, as the Lake Street Church of Christ, uh, Church of Christ and the members that, that, that make it up that we are desiring to grow closer to God. We are desiring to grow in the knowledge of Christ. And we talked about that for quite a while towards the end of last year. And starting this year, we started talking about ways in which we could grow. And we saw one way that was very important was to grow as a family, to grow closer to God in our relationships as husband and as wife. And we talked about spiritual intimacy and, and the need there was for the family, uh, for, the, for a husband and wife to grow closer to God in order to grow closer to one another and to, to reflect the, uh, the love of God in their own lives and to show that to the world through the love they have for one another. We also need to realize that as we begin talking about families, there's usually a, another aspect of that, which sometimes gets a little bit um, maybe underrepresented in the importance thereof, and that is the, the work of parenting. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, uh, and, and parenting truly is one of the greatest undertakings that, that a man has, has ever sought to, to complete. We need to face it, successfully raising children is something to regard it as having accomplished a high magnitude of work. And I'll give you an illustration of that. Former President George Bush, this is George Bush Sr., not George Bush uh, Jr., uh, he was asked this question. He said, what is your greatest accomplishment in life? I imagine a man like him could have had a lot of things that he he could have pulled up to mention. He could have talked about his success that he had during World War II as a Navy pilot. He could have talked about his eight years as vice president under Ronald Reagan. He could have talked about his own successful presidency. Ooh, that was a, that's a misstep. He could have talked about his own successful presidency. He might have talked about the time that he was the head of the CIA. He could have talked about his years as the foreign ambassador of the United States to China. He could have talked about the time that he, uh, of his success during Operation Desert Storm. So many things of his life, of this man's life, that he could have pulled and said, this is my greatest success. But when asked this question, Mr. President, what is your greatest accomplishment in life? His simple answer revealed his heart and his priorities when he said, my greatest accomplishment is that my children still come to see me. I thought that was a very interesting answer to that. And isn't that true? That after after the dust is settled and all the accomplishments that we have in our lives, our family really hold such a high priority uh, in, in, in regards to, to our accomplishments in this life? I want to remind you what Psalms chapter 127 says about, about children and about our family. It says that they are a precious gift from God. Verse 3 says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Verse 4, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of thy youth. 
Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. All too often, children are seen as a, a burden. They are seen as an inconvenience, as a nuisance, instead of as a blessing. Parenting should, should never be viewed as any other way. We must remember that children have been given to us as their parents for a few short years so that we might help them to mature and we might help them to grow into the image of God. So we are not to be guilty of forcing them into, into our own mold, into what we want them to be, but to do everything in our power to force them into that image of God, that will that He has provided for them in their lives. And that brings us to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 gives us some much needed insights into this matter of child rearing. As we, as we raise up our children, Deuteronomy 6 has a lot to tell us about things that should be at the forefront of our mind. So let's take some time this morning to learn these, these better parenting principles that come from the Lord and from His Word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 Let's just read verses 1 through 3. And in fact, if you have your Bibles open, follow along. I've also got the passages on the, on the screen behind me. It says, now, is the commandment, or no, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you were going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandsons might fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged, O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Verses 1 through 3 of Deuteronomy chapter 6 teach us, teach us something that we need to understand when, when it comes to, to raising and successfully parenting our children, and that is it always begins with the parent's own relationship with God. When we think of this great undertaking, there's a few things we need to keep in mind. The first one is we need to have the right sort of living. Now, there may be examples, and, and, and certainly I, it, is, it is evident in, in other people's lives, of, of people who had lost parents, parents who did not have the right sort of living, parents who did not know God, parents who did not care for His Word, and yet their children still ended up coming to Him and still ended up being, being saved and, and, and have lived their lives trying to mold themselves in His image. But regardless of those examples, that can never be viewed as an a example of successful parenting. It is certainly an example of the power of God's Word, the power of, of, of the examples of other people in, in their lives, but it is not an example of successful parenting. Successful parenting always begins with the parent's relationship with God. Parents must be walking in a right relationship before the Lord, or they will never have the influence in their children's lives that is needed. So in other words, you will never be able to lead your child farther than you have been yourself. And that makes sense to us. I can't lead my child uh, farther than I've been. At that point, we are, we are walking together. I'm no longer leading. I'm maybe even possibly following. So we will never be able to lead our children farther than we have, than we have already been and these first few voices speak, uh, verses speak to that issue. They show us as parents where we need to be if we are going to be the effective parents that God desires us to be. 
And one of the first things that we saw there in those, in those verses is that we need to have a fear of the Lord. There is a reverence that God expects, He desires for parents. Verse 2 tells us that we should fear the Lord. And that is that we are to walk in an awareness of God. Let me give you a good example of that. Uh, last week, I was weed eating down here around the shrubs. And I was, I was attacked by a yellow jacket. Fair warning for the kids that are here, don't play by the shrubs over here in the side of the parking lot. There is a very angry yellow jacket, and I believe he is on his own because uh, he was the only one that came out. But this guy, he came out, he, he, he chased me off. I'm sure it looked rather ridiculous, me running with a weed eater through the parking lot. But as he decided, I guess, that I wasn't a threat anymore and he went back to the shrubs, I weed-eated with an awareness of that yellow jacket. I knew what he could do to me. I knew that he had the power to, to hurt me uh, if he desired. And so as I, as I came back and I finished my job weed-eating, I wasn't afraid that he was just going to arbitrarily sting me. I knew I was going to have to upset him, but I was very aware of his presence there. Parents, we need to have an awareness of God. And I don't, wanna, I don't want to, to shrink God down to the scale of, a, of an insect, uh, but... We understand there's a, that there's a much greater magnitude of the awareness of God that we are talking about here this morning. We need to have an awareness of God's glory, of the, the things that He has done, the extent that He has went to, to set apart for Himself a people and to save that people, to, to restore them in such a way that they could live with Him in eternity. We need to have an awareness of His holiness of His perfectness, and of His majesty. See, a parent's primary responsibility is to walk in the fear of the Lord. We are to bring our lives under God's leadership. And godly parents place the Lord's will above all other considerations. Nothing else will come above the will of the Lord. Realizing that the fear of the Lord is the first step in producing wisdom, and it's the first step in proper parenting. Now, if we have a reverence, which is what God desires for us, if, he, if we have this awareness of Him, that's going to produce a reaction. That is something else that He desires of us. Because when we fear the Lord as we should, that will result in obedience to the Word of God. And there is no better witness that we can provide as a parent to our children than the sure knowledge that mom and dad, they take this seriously. They take this as something that is, that is vitally important to their lives. These words that we have and, and, and this, this recording that has been given to us of the knowledge of God, it rules the home. God's standards are to be our standards. And our children are going to model that in their lives when they see that depicted in our lives. This is a very scary thought for me. It really was a sobering thought for me. Is that my children will carry away from my home into their lives my actions. And that's sobering. Because that means that whenever I get to the house, I remember working with Lockheed Martin, I wanted so bad to get home because that was where I could I could kind of take the the I, I could kind of take everything off. I could take off the pressures of of making sure that I'm I'm setting a good example. I could just sit back and go. Oh, I'm home, I'm in, I'm in safety. Well, that was the wrong attitude. Because when I stepped in that door, that's when my real job began. 
That's when I needed to set the best example possible of how a husband treats his wife, how a father loves and trains his children. They will carry away from our homes our actions. And so let's teach them through our actions that God's word is to be obeyed. And if we have a reverence for God and we have a reaction to that reverence, we know that there is a reward for that. And we need to be teaching that to our children as well. God promised Israel. He said, when you follow these words, there will be a blessing that follows that. There will be a reward in your lives. And the same holds true today. God has promised those who bless uh, a blessing for those who walk in His will and follow His word. If you consider Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, as he talks about the man who, who, who runs and, and, and walks and sits and, with the scornful, with the unrighteous. God is not pleased with that. But then he goes on to talk about the man who, who is, is, is following his will. He says, truly blessed is that man. He is, he is made mighty like a tree. He is restored as a tree being, being uh, grown on the edge of the riverbanks. There are blessings to come for those who follow the will of God. And do our children see that? And are our children taught that? They need to see that God will do what He has said He will do. Do we talk to our children about, about what God says about honesty? Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Do we teach our children that God is going to reward people who, who dwell on these sorts of things? Not who dwell on, on the, 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 the wisdom of the world. Not who dwell on the entertainment of, of, of the world, of the television and of radio. But to dwell on things that are true and honorable and right. That God will bless those who do that. 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 10 through 12. We urge you brethren to excel still more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you so that you will be not, excuse me, so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Do we teach our children that honest living, that that is obedience to God? And that comes with a reward. Not that we're going to, you know, you go out and you do an honest day's work and you're going to have the American dream. You're going to have two cars in the driveway. You're going to have the next biggest technological advancement, whatever it is, you're, gonna, you're just going to be living everything exactly how the world sees it. What we read there is that you would not be in any need. You'd be able to behave properly towards outsiders. You're going to be blessed in such a way that the things that you truly need will be given to you and you will have the ability to help others with the things that you have. Do we teach our children that? That honesty is something to be followed by God. And something that God blesses. Do we teach our children that faithfulness is blessed by God? Matthew chapter 25 verse 21. says, Master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put in charge of you many things. Enter into the joy of your master. With the few things that we have in our responsibility today. Do we teach our children that being faithful to that. Being, being trustworthy and, and doing with that what is expected. And what is right to have been done with it. That leads to greater blessings and greater rewards in a later life. Do our children see serving God as optional? Or do they see serving God as mandatory? They will learn exactly what they observe in your life. 
and they will learn exactly what they observe in my life. We need to remind ourselves of that. They need to know that God blesses his faithful children and they need to see us enjoying the blessings of the Lord so that they will desire to do the same thing in their lives. So let's show them. Let's show them that serving God is the only way to live. That obedience to the Lord always pays off. Let's show them that God's way is the best way because it is far better. You know, sometimes people, people come up with this idea that I'm not, going to, I'm not going to talk to my children about the Bible. I'm not going to, to talk with them about God because I want them to make up their own minds. I am, I'm so scared that I'm going to raise some sort of religious fanatic. I want to suggest that it would be better to raise a religious fanatic than a, a lost and unbelieving child. Because the, child, the children that we raise... They are living memorials to the investments that we have put into their lives. We need to have the right sort of living. Verses 4 through 5 go on to explain this concept a little more. Verse 4 through 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So we need to add to the right sort of living the right sort of loving. Moses relates the word of God as, as, he, as he does. He relates it as to successful parenting. And we are to take the word of God and we are to make it a primary motivator in the parenting process. And so what do we find here uh, in, in this passage may not seem like it has a lot to do with parenting. When we read, the, when we read these verses here in verses 4 through 5, how, what does that exactly have to do with raising a child? This is talking about the love you have for God. It may not seem like it has a lot to do with parenting, but I want to suggest that it is at the very heart. It is at the very core of parenting. Because before we can become successful Christian parents, we have to become successful in a relationship with the Lord. We have to have that relationship nailed down. Now that does not mean, that does not suggest that we have to be perfect we have to understand perfect. We have to not, not ever make a mistake before we can be parents. Because I'll tell you right now, if that was the case, the world would just cease to exist. There would not be another, another child born into this world if we all had to get everything right before we could become parents. But we do have to have the relationship that a, a, a child of God has with his Father and with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to have that to be able to be successful Christian parents. And just as important that our children see that right sort of living in our lives, they must see that right sort of loving as well. That we love the Lord God and we love Him supremely. And so He is to be our focus. There are no other gods in our lives. This was a huge problem for the children of Israel later on. And and God sent prophet after prophet warning them and and telling them to remove the idols from your lives, remove the other gods from your lives. And and ultimately it it led to their their exile and the downfall of that nation. But, But what about today? All too often today, children see in their parents idols and other gods. They see them putting ahead things of the world before God. And now whether it's a, a job, whether it's a hobby, whether it's, it's friends or, or even family members, whatever it is that comes before God, that is an idol. 
It's the definition of an idol. It's something that comes in the place or, or comes before or comes in a higher priority than God. And whenever that happens, it sends a false message to our children. We are telling them by our actions that this thing that we love comes before our love for the Lord. And children need to know that no one, that nothing, nothing, and that includes themselves, comes before our relationship with God. Sometimes we get too caught up. We, get, we just get so focused on, on, I have to have this relationship with my child. They have to think of me as a friend. And they have to, they, they, I just, I, that becomes such a priority that parents actually elevate their children to a place that they, they don't have a right to be and to a place that is not healthy for them to be. When we elevate our children to a place that is reserved for God, we are setting them up for the, the greatest fall that they could ever imagine in their lives. So much pain will come from that. We are telling them, and we need to be showing them, that God is our focus. And if we teach them that God is, is just for, for special occasions, maybe we teach them God is just for Sundays, or God is just for Sundays and Wednesdays. God is just for a, a certain holiday, Mother's Day or, 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 or Christmas or Easter. If we are teaching our children that God is just for these certain days, you can guarantee that you're going to be raising or you are working towards raising children who are not going to have their focus on God the way that it should be. We need to teach them that God is our focus entirely. You might say that He is to be our fixation. Why do you think that so many children have rejected the faith that they had of their parents? We see uh, there's a, a book I read one time titled Already Gone and there's a lot of things in the book that, that I certainly had problems with, but one of the points that it made was that so oftentimes when children go off to college and we see them going off and they, they fall away in college and we say, what happened? What happened in college that, that, that took my child away from the Lord? And the point of the book was it didn't happen in college. It happened in the home. It happened as they were young. It happened before they left. They were falling away because they were seeing the examples that you were setting for them. We need to make a fixation of God a priority in our life. The love for God is to motivate us in every area of our life. Our love for Him should consume us. And when it does, when it fills us, and it works within us, and it reveals itself through us, our children are going to see that. You want a good example of that happening? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. Our children need to see 1 Corinthians 13 in the lives of mom and in the lives of dad. It says there, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, a few verses down it says, if I, if I have the gift of prophecy, even if I have all faith in which I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. It goes on to say in verse 4, love is patient, love is kind and is not jealous, love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Do our children see that? Do they see that in our love for God? Do they see that in our love for them? We need to have the right kind of loving in our lives. But then we get to verses 6 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, 6-9 says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We're to have the right sort of learning as well. And we are to first, before we go to teach these things to our children, we are to be storing them up for ourselves. That is, the Word is to be in me, and the Word is to change me. And if I expect my life to be an impact on my children's lives, then I have to be transformed myself by the Word. Nothing can happen through me until it's first happened to me, in other words. So it's essential that parents have personal times of prayer and personal Bible studies. It's essential that parents have time for themselves to grow in the knowledge of God so that they can take what they grow in and they can allow their children and help their children to grow as well. If we expect to raise godly children, that means we have to first be godly parents. But then verses 7-9 through nine tell us we are to take that, that we have stored up in ourselves, and we are to share that with them. Now the, verse that, that, uh, that it, the word that it used here, here in this verse, the word diligently, we're to diligently teach the, ch- the word to our children. That word means to, to wet or to sharpen. And it carries with it the idea of, of stabbing, of penetrating. And so when, when we read that, that we're to diligently teach the word uh, to our children, it is the idea that our training is to penetrate them and to penetrate them deeply into our children. We're to help them based on God's word to be grow up to be keen and to sharp and discerning when it comes to living a life reflecting the will of God. And so you know what that means? That means we're not to teach them in ways that uses self, uh, self-revealing or self-reflecting exclamations. When, when a, a child comes, maybe, maybe a daughter comes and, and you say, you can't wear that. You can't wear that out in public. Why not? Because I said so. That's the wrong answer. And the boys come and we, we they go clean your room. Why? Because I told you to. That's the wrong answer. We need to raise them up, teaching them God's word and implanting that word in their heart, moving it into their, into their soul so that it can work within them. We're developing them convictions based upon the word of God and that conviction will guide them through their lives. So we need to teach them that the word of God is not a bunch of rules. The word of God is not a bunch of do's and don'ts. We need to teach them by explanation and we need to teach them by example the things that God would have them to learn so that they can, they can imitate, they can mimic the life of Christ in their lives. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 has some great examples for parents, some timely advice. It says, Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Now, yes, this is taken, uh, th- th- this is taken out of the midst of a conversation, but, but what, what Paul uses here to describe the relationship between a parent with his child, a father with his children, he gives us some very good ways to influence them. First, he says that we are to be exhorting, to call to one side. It speaks of an effort as to get your child on your team, to be building them up into the same conviction that you have, to develop within them that which you already possess. We need to exhort our children, but we also need to encourage our children. That carries with the idea of comfort. As parents, we need to be seeking to bring out the very best in our children. 
And we need to encourage them when we see that happen. When we see them do that which is correct and that which is, is right, and when, we do, when they do well, we need to not just take note of that. And sometimes that is completely overlooked, completely ignored. But we need to see it and we need to encourage them. We need to reach out to them and tell them what a good job they're doing. But we also need to implore them. And as encourage carries with the idea of comforting, imploring carries with it the idea of protesting. There are times when we just simply cannot condone everything that is done by a child. So we must must protest against the behavior of our children when it is not something to encourage. Now how do we accomplish that? How do we do that uh, in, in, in such a way that it is, it is effective and that it is beneficial to the child? Well, the scriptures go on to shed light on this. In Psalms 139 and verse 13, we understand that each child is uniquely formed by God. It says, Therefore you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. And while a child will certainly acquire certain traits from being in your home, there is a, a, a very true sense to nurture and, and what the nurturing of a child, what that will create in them. But we must remember that every single one of us, every child that has ever been born is an individual before the Lord. He is not, she is not a product of, evolu- uh, of evolution. They are not a product of a social construct that, is, that has created them into, into this creature. They have been formed by God and formed by God for a particular function. And we need to remember that as parents. And we need to not, when, when we try to plan out our child's lives, we need to make sure that we are not trying to plan out their lives in, in what we want them to be, but focusing on the fact that God created this child. God has a plan for this child. And we need to try and plan, uh, raise them up so that they can succeed in fulfilling the will of God in them. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 goes on again to say each child is individual. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. There are certain parts of this passage that I think come very easily to us. The verse that it talks about there when saying train up. Train up our children. It's been said that that the midwives, uh, that, that, that Hebrew midwives, would, would take a newborn infant, a newborn child, and they would dip their fingers in crushed dates to get the, the sweetness to, to get that on their finger, and they would rub that on the gums of the child, and this would, this would induce them to a desire for milk, a desire for, for nursing. Now, in the same way, the training we give our children, train up a child that needs to whet their appetites for the things of God, Not wept their appetites for what I want them to want. Not wept their appetites for what I think is right. We need to be wetting their appetites. We need to help them develop a hunger for God. And they need to be internally motivated rather than externally compelled to follow God. Now certainly there's going to be rules. There's going to be boundaries that, (coughs) that lend themselves to to this idea of external, uh, being externally compelled. There, there, there has to be uh, rules and boundaries in a child's life, but there also has to be, must be an internal desire to know and to follow the Lord. And that needs to be awakened by the parental example that we set. We must learn a proper balance between examples and between boundaries. But it also goes on to say, in the way that he should go, 
This is the part of the verse that I don't know that we always give enough time and consideration to. Again, we've already talked about 139, that children are uniquely formed. They are individuals. And so this does not mean that we would train up a child in the way that we think he should go, but rather train up a child in the individuality that that child possesses. Sometimes we view children as very fluid creatures. And maybe, maybe in a, a pre-adolescent, a, a pubescent state, that is certainly true. Maybe they, they can change so quick that we don't even know what's going on. But in reality, children are a lot more concrete than we consider. And what I mean by that is they are extremely impressionable. You can take concrete and you can form it. And yes, it, it comes out in, in a very fluid state, but it is formable. You can make it into so many different things. But children, even though they are concrete and even though they are formable, they are individual. They are all different. Great example of that. You don't need to look any farther than the book of Genesis. You have Cain and Abel raised with the same parents. One brought up, became a worshiper of God. The other brought up, became a murderer, killed his brother. All children are different, and all children are different in different ways. And the wise parent sees the differences in their children, and they raises each child in the way that he should go. Certainly, certainly the teaching material doesn't change, but the method, the method sometimes has to. We have three boys, and the responses of those three boys are all remarkably different. The things that work with Ryder do not work with Madden. Easton is, is a completely different animal of his own. The, we, we have to look at them, and we have to see what is effective in training them up. And, we, and then we understand that every child is different. We also understand that that means some children are going to grow up, and they are, they are just they are leaders. And they exhibit that very early on, while other children don't exhibit those same behaviors. Some of them are more apt to follow. Some are creative and some are artistic. Some are logical and practical. Some are very gifted intellectually. If some kids that you can say something one time and boom, they've got it. They, they are, they've got it down pat. Don't need to hear it again. And then you've got kids like me that need to have it repeated over and over and over again until the teacher is pulling their hairs out. Some people struggle to learn. And a wise parent trains up a child in the way that he should go. Not according to the parent's will for the child, but according to God's will for that creation that he has made. We also see in Psalms 51 verse 5 that each child is born with free will. It says here, Behold, I was, born, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. One thing that is, is so apparently true, and I remember vividly, the day that our children were born, each one of them, and I held this baby in my hands, and, and there was nothing in the world that could possibly have been more sweet and more innocent than that child until they start screaming and crying, and I don't know why, and I, I'm looking at them, and I'm, what is wrong with this child? What does it want? I don't know. What I'm saying is let's, let's not be fooled by the innocence of our children. Because inside of each and every one of them is the nature, the ability to choose whether I will be obedient or whether I will be disobedient or rebellious. And that begins expressing itself almost immediately. For us, it was the plugs in the wall. 
Don't stick anything in the plugs in the wall. I don't care what it is. Don't stick it in the plugs in the wall. Those words didn't mean anything to Ryder. I don't know how many times that we, we were, if, if one of those little safety things came out, we, we knew we had a problem because he was going to find something to stick back in that hole. He was going to plug that hole back up. And, and if, if my memory serves me right, he actually did one time, and it was a scary experience. Children have the ability, just as we do, to choose whether they will, whether they will be obedient or whether they will rebel their parents' teachings. And so parents are not only ch- challenged to teach their children to do the right thing, and to remember that their children were formed by God and their children are an individual. And so this, this teaching is going to be different with each and every one of them. They are also challenged to punish them when they do that which is against the will of God. If a parent does not punish their child, this is so prevalent today. And, and I even have family members who, who say, we will, we, will not, we, will, we will never tell our children no. That is, that is our parenting process. We're not going to tell them no. Well... This has become true in, in those lives, and it's true in the life of every other parent. If you refuse to punish your children, your children will punish you at one point in the future. The Bible gives five good reasons to discipline our children. And I've decided not to put these on the, on, the, uh, on the board. We're going to turn to these. The first one, the first reason for discipline is Proverbs chapter 22. Let's turn over there. Proverbs 22, verse 15. It says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. One of the reasons God gives to us to punish our children. Not to punish them because we don't like them. Not to punish them because they have made us angry. We will never read anything like that. It is to punish them for their betterment. This first one is so that they will not be foolish. I don't know how many times in my life I have been punished my dad, my dad always told, told me growing up, I got spanked five times. I can count. I remember every one of them on, on one hand, I can count the times I've been spanked. I can't do that. I have forgotten how many times I have been punished for the foolish things I've done. But I'm thankful now because I know better today to do those things and to repeat them. We remove foolishness in our child by disciplining them, punishing them so that they can see that, which, that way which is right. Proverbs chapter 23 <clears throat> Verses 13 through 14. It says, Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. The word here, Sheol, it refers to the, the place of the dead, but it has the idea of judgment. We are, we, are, we are protecting and taking our children and rescuing them from the judgment that will come one day. This is the exact same mentality that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 5. In verse 15, when he talks about the discipline of the church, that the purpose of that is not to inflict, not to inflict pain and sorrow, but to rescue the soul from judgment, from Satan. We also see that Proverbs 29 tells us in verse 15 <clears throat> that, it is to, that they might receive wisdom. The rod and reproof, and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Now that last part of that verse is very true. You've sometimes seen those, those children who, who grow up and, and, and you, maybe you find them on the 10 o'clock news somewhere and you just think, oh, oh, that poor child's mom, the, the, the father, how they must feel because of what, the, what their child has done. 
the rod of reproof, discipline, punishment, all of these things are, are designed to give a child wisdom so that he can bring something else besides shame to his parents. So they can bring relief from anxiety. So they can bring peace. So they can bring comfort, as it says in the New American Standards. Proverbs 29, verse 17. Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. But then we also have a passage over in Hebrews that we want to look at. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 through 11. And over there, the Hebrew writer tells us that, that discipline, discipline is done because it gives a reflection of God's character to the child. Verse 10 says, For they disciplined us, this is speaking about fathers disciplining their, their children, or, or parents disciplining their children. It says, For they disciplined us for a short time, and it seemed best to them. But He, God, He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, discipline is done because it gives a reflection of God's character to the child. Verse 10 says, For they disciplined us, this is speaking about fathers disciplining their, their children, or, or parents disciplining their children. It says, For they disciplined us for a short time, and it seemed best to them. But He, God, He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God's Word is to be such a part of our lives that we are to set the right example for our children every day. That's what it says, verses 8 through 9 in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. When it talked about that, when it, when it talked about binding the words on, on the, the doorposts and, and, and putting them on your, on your skin and on your eyelids, that was later, that was later misused. That was later perverted by the Pharisees and by others who would make themselves little boxes of leather. And inside these boxes, they would put God's Word, they would put His Scriptures in it, and then they would tie them around their head. They would tie them to their arms. They would go around so that people could see, we are doing what Deuteronomy 6 has told us to do. How often is it that man perverts God's Word in such a way to overly complicate it when simply put, what God desired from the beginning was that you wear the Word of God in the place that it will be most visible to others, and that is within your heart. God's intention is far more practical than the way that man followed that out. He wants the Word to be such a part of our lives that we are literally saturated in it. So much so that it motivates us in every area of our lives so that our children know that we are living out the Word of God. When they see that, when they see us happy, when they see us blessed in the Lord, <clears throat> that will create an appetite in them for the same thing. And yes, they may rebel. I think maybe that's the fear that all parents have. That someday, after I've done all these things, and yes, we know what it says in Proverbs about training up a child and he will not depart, but there may come a day where they turn away from that. What we can know is if we have set the proper example, if we have filled the